Good morning, Vernonia Church. I want to say welcome to our online worship time. I'm so glad that you're here this morning. My name is Sam. I'm the pastor at Vernonia Church, and and it's a privilege to be sharing with you, my friends, online as we go through these Bible teachings together. In just a few moments, we're going to be diving into our series where we've been talking about it's in there, sayings that you didn't know from the Bible were from the Bible. And this morning, we're going to talk about the saying, the writing is on the wall. And it's going to be a great day. I'm really looking forward to getting into this message with you today. Before we do that, I want to share with you a couple ideas, a couple things that you can do to help us out as we try to share our messages across platforms and all the different ways that we're doing it on social media and online. One of them that you can do is you hear all the time is hit that like button, hit that subscribe button, ring that sub notification bell, do all the things, you know, just to let us know that you're here. Also, you could go and hit that link below where you can fill out an online uh, connection card. I'd love to be able to pray for you, and you can let us know how we can be praying for you there. Every once in a while, some of you let us know, and, and we've been praying for you. I uh, want to encourage you to hit that and, and do that. Just let us know that you're here. Also want to encourage you, if you hear something today that helps you, if you hear something today that might help someone else, be sure to share it with them. You know, s- send them a link to the message or or maybe share it on your page or whatever it, you want to do. Just share it in order to be a blessing to the people in your life. That way you can help us bless the people in your life in a special way. Uh, so with that all said, you know, doing all that stuff helps out a lot. I do want to let you know something. Uh, every once in a while, someone says to me, in fact, I was talking with someone this last week, and they said, man, I've, I've been watching your stuff online, and, and, and it looks like there's no one there when you're doing it. Are you guys even doing in-person church? And the answer to that is absolutely yes. We are doing in-person church and in-person worship services at Vernonia Church in Vernonia, Oregon. But we decided that we... We wanted to make our online presence special. And what we did is we decided that I would actually spend an extra special time just sharing with you, our online people. I look at this as if it's another worship service. You know, we do two in-person services and then we do this online service. So I kind of look at this as our third service. And I wanted to be able to speak just with you. So we kind of set it up like this. So it's kind kind of like a a podcast and and uh, and I'm in here by myself with the camera just talking to you and I picture you I think of you I, I pray for just you whenever we do these services so just wanted to let you know this is something we do special for you our online church and so uh, that's why sometimes it might seem like well there's nobody there what's going on well it's because there isn't and I'm just doing this for you it's a lot of extra work to do in fact I kind of think that the online stuff and doing this recording and setup and everything it takes longer than doing in-person church but it's worth it 
because if I looked at the people that we're reaching out to, the way it's been a blessing to you, uh, you know, I would be happy if you were here in person and you would increase our numbers as, as an in-person service. Well, I look at it the same way. You're increasing our, our outreach. We're being a blessing to you. The word of God is getting out and it's blessing you and blessing others. And, and so it's definitely worth it. And it's here to stay. We're going to be doing this after all the COVID stuff is completely gone we're still going to be doing online worship uh, and uh, and still wanting to see God bless this ministry and watch it grow. Okay, I didn't mean to spend all that time. We want to get into our teaching, and I want to pray for you before we do that. And remember, I want to pray specifically for you. You know, some of you are here, and, and you have burdens on your hearts. Some of you are here, and, and you're just ready to worship God and, and, and get into His Word. And wherever you're at, I just want to pray that God will bless you, that He will bring a special touch, a special word, a special message into your life because of what we do today. Hey, let's pray together. God in heaven, we come before you. And God, we are so thankful that you love us. God, we have been going through these thoughts about uh, sayings from Scripture, uh, sayings in our culture. And uh, today we're talking about the writing on the wall. And God, I pray that uh, you will help us to read the writing on the wall. The writing on the wall that says that you love us desperately and you give your son in a sacrifice to draw us into your kingdom. That, that, that writing on the wall that says there's nothing worth following like you are worth following. There's no one worth worshiping like you are worth worshiping. God, we come before you and we want to praise you and worship you together. And God, I pray that as some are here today that need your healing touch in their life, that you would bring your healing touch. And I pray that as some are here and they have a spiritual struggle they're, they're battling with, I pray that you'll give them strength in that spiritual struggle. I pray for those who are here who are, who are struggling with addictions and struggling with letting go and struggling with the hold that things of this world have on them. I pray that you will help them break free. And God, I pray for those who are coming and just want to get into your word and, and, and find a blessing from you and, and hear a word from you that I pray that all of us would experience that today. And it's in Jesus name we pray. Amen. Well, this morning, I'd like to speak with you about uh, the writing on the wall. Have you ever said the writing's on the wall? Maybe it had something to do with the relationship that you were having, and, and there were just some signs, some signs that something was going on, and you said, the writing's on the wall. Maybe you're a parent and you're watching your teenage kids uh, as they date and you say, the writing's on the wall. I, I can see what's coming with this one. I can see where this is going. Or maybe you said it and it had to do with your job. You could just see the writing was on the wall. It was in the way that your boss was talking to you. Maybe the mannerisms. Maybe something had changed. A shift had happened. And you could see change was on the horizon. The writing was on the wall. Well, whenever you said it, you probably said it in a way that 
uh, had in a way that had maybe negative things coming in the future. You're saying the, the writing's on the wall. I can see something bad is coming. Something on the horizon is coming. The winds of change are blowing. The writing is on the wall. Maybe you've looked back and you said, man, I wish I read the writing that was on the wall. I wish I paid more attention to the writing that was on the wall. Well, we're going to talk about this saying today, the writings on the wall. And we're going to go back to a place where the the phrase or the idea or the thought that the saying comes from. It, it was October 11th, 539 BC. It was a remarkable event that was going to take place the, the day before his History would be made. You see, history tells us that the next day, October 12th, is the day that the Babylonian kingdom fell uh, at, with the falling of its capital. It fell to the Medes and the Persians. Now, about 10 years before, the reigning king of the capital city of Babylon had left his son Belshazzar in charge. Two days earlier, that king had been killed. Two days before the day we're going to be talking about. He'd been killed about 50 miles away from the capital city. And Belshazzar, on the day of the 11th, gets to be the rightful king. Not only is he reigning as his dad's absence, but he actually becomes king with the passing of his father. But he only got to be king for a day. On that day, he throws this strange banquet. We don't know why he throws this banquet. Not entirely sure what he was up to with this banquet. Maybe he threw it to celebrate that he had just become king. He invites thousands of nobles to this banquet. There were probably more than a thousand there because they brought their wives and their concubines, and uh, which is sort of an interesting thing to bring to a banquet like this. And he invites them all to come and to to do a bunch of drinking, to have a bunch of, uh, well, the things you would do with concubines, I guess. And, and there's this big party that he throws. Now, he might have been throwing it because he could see that things were coming his way. Uh, he could see that his dad had just passed. He might be throwing it because, you know, hey, everything's about to fall apart and let's just celebrate before we go out. Let's go out with a bang. Or maybe he just was sort of in denial about the coming of the Persians and the Medes. Maybe he wouldn't admit that this was his fate, that something was coming his way that had already come towards the king and, and destroyed the king. Maybe he had his head in the sand and he was pretending that Babylon was going to go on forever. Who knows why he threw this banquet? We don't really know, but we do know some of the things that happened at this banquet. Some very strange, some very miraculous times things. Uh, there were all kinds of things going on here as they were partying. There seems to be a sexual overtone to what was happening here. There seems to be a, a, a an affront to the face of God that happens here in this banquet. I, I mean, so one of the things that you'll notice that happened is that during this banquet, it says in Daniel chapter 5 that the king had all the people worship 
worshiping all the gods of the Babylonians and all the gods that they had made, uh, gods they'd made out of silver, out of gold, out of wood and stone, and, and all kinds of other things. They had worshiped these gods, and then they pulled out the, the, the goblets that they had stolen from the temple of Yahweh God. When they, the Babylonians had destroyed Jerusalem, destroyed the temple, they stole the items from the temple. And here, sort of as an affront to Yahweh God, uh, Belshazzar tells everyone, let's drink wine from the cups from the temple of God. And, and, and so they're, they're having this party, this this celebration, they're proudfully worshiping other gods other than Yahweh God, and they're also sort of, as an affront to God, they're desecrating the items from the temple. And while all this is going on, the Bible will tell us in Daniel chapter five, in Daniel chapter five, that that a hand all of a sudden, showed up and began to write on the wall. Now, Rembrandt would paint a painting about the, the writing on the wall, and there's a picture of a hand writing, and the king is, is upset as he's seeing the writing. His knees begin to shake, and he can't hardly stand, and, and he's terrified as this hand begins to write on the wall. I, I can't help but picture things. From the Adams family, you know, I when I was younger, there was this show called The Adams Family, and and they were they were sort of this spooky family, and they had this little pet hand, this this thing they called it thing, and and the, and the pet hand would come out of the box and and snap, and sometimes it would run along the floor, and and I think of the, the thing, you know, and I don't know whose hand this was, I don't know whether it was Jesus' hand as he was there in their midst writing on the wall, whether it was the hand of God and God just made himself uh, have a hand for a moment to write or whether it was the hand of an angel and all they could see was the angel's hand but something was going on here and God had his hand writing on the wall and and, and it says in Daniel chapter 5 verses 5 to 6 it says suddenly the fingers of a human hand appeared and wrote on the plaster of the wall near the lampstand in the royal palace. And so the king watched the hand as it wrote. His face turned pale and he was so frightened that his knees knocked together and his legs gave way. And he he was really terrified by this hand that wrote on the wall. And I imagine you and I, we would have been just as terrified if we were sitting there and an actual hand began to write on the plaster of a wall. And then the, the king began to ask everyone uh, where or wh- who can read what is written here and, and who could tell me what is the meaning of what's been written on the wall. He had his magicians, he had all his, his different people that, that, that worshipped other gods and sorcerers and smart people and wise men. He had them all come together out of, and they couldn't figure out what was written and, and what what it meant. Well, then the queen, who was probably his grandma, this was Nebuchadnezzar's wife, his grandpa, who was king at one time, and and the queen 
the, the queen remembered the things that this one young man named Daniel had done for her husband. When her husband was the king of Babylon, this young man interpreted dreams and he shared messages of God and he was this prophet. And so the queen recommended that they bring Daniel in and that they give Daniel a chance to explain the writing on the wall. And so the king has Daniel come in and the king sort of sets himself up as important and sets Daniel up as unimportant and the king kind of makes some remarks to put Daniel into his place and then he offers Daniel a deal. He says, if you can tell me what these things mean and what this writing on the wall is all about, if you can tell me that, I will give you a gold chain, I will give you the royal robe, I will make you the third most important person in all of the kingdom of Babylon. And Daniel, as he's listening to this conversation, he says to the king, you can keep your stuff, man. Uh, sort of as an affront to the king, saying, I'm not going to be a part of your uh, of your." sinful regime. I'm not going to be a part of your corruption, and I'm not going to be a part of your stance against God. I don't want anything to do with you. You're drinking wine from God's cups, and and I'm just not going to take anything you have to give. Now, I have a feeling that's why Daniel said no to the gifts. I have a feeling that maybe there was another side of it. Maybe Daniel could see the writing on the wall. He he knew what it meant, and he knew that what the king was offering, well, it was sort of a temporary deal anyhow. But he said, no thanks. And then it says in Daniel chapter 5, here's what the writing on the wall was. This was the inscription that was written. Mini, mini, tekel, person. Uh, Mini, mini, tekel, person. And what does that mean? Well, there were four words on the wall. We're going to come back to these words on the wall in a moment. But let's talk about where we're at and what we're doing. We're here in this series, this teaching series that we're calling It's In There. Sayings you didn't know were in the Bible that are in the Bible. And, and we're talking about some of these common sayings that we say that, that maybe we didn't realize actually came from the Bible. And we've been talking about what they mean in the context of the saying and, and where it came from, why it was said. And we've been taking all these sayings and putting them together to tell a story, to give us a message that, that we might take to heart. The first, the first teaching in this series, we talked talked about the saying, by the skin of my teeth. And, and we talked about how Job said that he had been saved from death by the skin of his teeth. And it reminded us that Jesus wants to save us by the skin of our teeth as well. And then we talked about, uh, in the second teaching, a drop in the bucket. You know that old saying, a drop in the bucket. It's a saying that means that that compared to the whole picture, whatever it is we're dealing with is just a drop in 
the bucket. And we talked about how Isaiah declared that the nations and their power and their authority, and Isaiah basically declared that all of the things the world has to offer are simply a drop in the bucket compared to what Jesus has to offer. And so we talked about having a drop in the bucket mentality, that we want to compare everything in our life to what Jesus is offering and realize that Jesus offers us so much more than what the world offers us. And today, we're going to come back to the writing on the wall. We're going to think about this saying, and and one of the reasons that we want to take a hold of a drop-in-the-bucket mentality, one of the reasons we want to take a hold of the gospel of Jesus is because the writing is on the wall. When it comes to all that mankind and and all that this world has to offer, the writing's on the wall. The signs are there. The message is clear. Take a hold of what God has to offer because the writing is on the wall when it comes to the fate of mankind. Here's what the writing on the wall said, many, many, tekel, parson. Now the, the words, it's, it's three words. One of them is said twice, but it's three different words. The word many here is a word that would, would be a word to describe a mina, which was a measuring, uh, a measuring unit for precious metal. Basically, you would weigh out silver or gold, and a mina was about 500 to 600 grams worth of that metal. And, and so a mina was a sort of a, a, a big portion. And then there's a tekel. A, a tekel is another weight measurement. It, it was a, it's a word for shekel. And a shekel was worth, worth less than a mina. It, it was about, instead of uh, 600 grams, it, it was about 10 grams. And so we go from one big number, one big weight to to a smaller weight. And, and then the word person, the, the word person is yet another measurement. And it basically, it's the smallest yet. It basically means a half of a shekel. You take a shekel, you cut it in half, and that's what you have. And God will reveal to Daniel what he wrote there, and not only what he wrote, but what it means. And he's going to use these three words as sort of a word play to say that Belshazzar uh, has been appointed, he's been weighed, he's been evaluated, and he's going to be found wanting, and now he's going to be punished. And these words, basically he's saying that there's a measurement that goes from greater to smaller, and the weight gets lighter and lighter, the value becomes less and less, and something is basically becoming worth less. And that's what Belshazzar is going to be found to be worth, is worthless. Well, what was ultimately true about Belshazzar, this king, in 
will be true in the long run for all of mankind, for all of humanity. Standing without God, we will be found wanting. We will be found empty and worthless without God, without hope. And what, what, what I want to talk about this morning is why it's worth turning our backs on the world and turning our backs on mankind and turning towards God. Why it's worth following Jesus and serving his will over the will of the world around us and over our own will. Why it's worth looking to Jesus for eternal life rather than trying to make the most of this life. In fact, you could do both and make the most of this life for eternity and eternal life by following Jesus and taking a hold of his grace. Why is it so important to take his grace and forgiveness? Why is it so important? It's so important because what Jesus has to offer makes the best of this world look like a drop in the bucket. What Jesus has to offer is to save us by the skin of our teeth. And and what Jesus has to offer us is so important because when it comes to what the world offers, and when it comes to what mankind offers, well, the writing's on the wall. When they're making their offers, just like Daniel turned down what Belshazzar had to offer before he knew what the writing on the wall was, so too we would look at the world around us, we would look at what mankind offers, we would look at the pressures of mankind and the peer pressure of mankind, and we would say, well, the writing is on the wall. So let me just share with you some thoughts that I think the writing on the wall remind us, r- reminds us of. And as I share with you those thoughts, we'll come back to the story in Daniel 5 and, and get to know what Daniel is telling us uh, about this situation. And so the first thought I'd like to share with you is this, that the, the writing on the wall, it reminds us that mankind's days are numbered. They're numbered. And not only would Daniel read the words in Daniel 5 and tell the king, well, here's what the words are, he would explain to him what the words mean. Many is a word that means that God has numbered your days and numbered the days of your reign and that he's bringing them to an end. That's what Daniel says to the king. The word many was also a word that was used in the lang- their language as as a common word to refer to the idea of counting. Sometimes uh, sometimes we fail to see the writing on the wall because we don't quite want to count. We want to sometimes think that, you know what, Uh, our days aren't numbered. Our days are just going to go on and on and and they'll never end. And our days are just just going to, to keep going. There is no end to what's happening with us. Sometimes we sort of bury our head in the sand and we pretend that that our days are numbered or we pretend that they're not numbered rather well Daniel comes and he says they're numbered and maybe you ought to start thinking about how your days are numbered and your time comes short and the day is coming where you have to answer to the one who created you and the one who made you because your days they're numbered 
And it's hard for us sometimes to admit that our days are numbered. It's hard for us to admit that time is short. The Bible will compare the lifespan of, of man to a hand breath. And, and you think about, well, if you just took your hand right now and raised it to your mouth and blew in your hand. That's how the Bible will describe the the days that men live. It will describe the days of men as as a mist that comes and is gone. Uh, we have a town right near us called Mist, and they call it Mist because it's always misty in Mist, and and you go through Mist and. And in the morning, the, the mist is there, but then the sun comes out and it burns the mist off and it's gone. And it compares life in Scripture to a mist that comes and is gone. And sometimes it'd be good for us to just admit that time is short. Our days are numbered. And no matter how uh, influential, powerful, no matter how uh, how much a man has or how little a man has, how good a man is, how bad a man is, no matter how how uh, scary a man is, no matter how, uh, well, how inspiring a man is, their days are numbered and their days come to an end. How different mankind is compared with God. When I think of this idea of admitting our days are numbered, I can't help but thinking of a man. I'll call him Mark. Uh, he was a man that, that I met early on when I first started uh, in ministry. He was a man that I was invited to his home. You see, when I first started out early on in ministry, there was, there was a, a family that was struggling with well, the, the the father and the husband of the family, he was passing away. He was close to death. In fact, this day that I was invited to come to his house, he was on his deathbed. He was at his house. I, I was asked by the family who all were believers and and who loved the Lord, and yet this this father, this husband, he wasn't. And he had never made a real commitment or real decision. And, and so in a last-ditch effort, they asked the new, the new guy, the new minister, to come and share the gospel one last time with Mark. They asked me to come to his house, and when I showed up, there were all kinds of people in the house. Friends, family, uh, people were crying. People had been going in to see him on his deathbed, saying goodbyes and saying they they loved him. And I was invited to come in and to talk with this fella. Uh, you talk about putting the pressure on a young new pastor. And I walked into the room, and the first thing Mark said to me is he smiled real big, and he goes, You know, Sam... It's almost as if everybody think that I, thinks that I'm going to die today. <laughs> and uh, I had the unfortunate responsibility of saying to him, you are going to die today. It's, it's happening right now. And he just was not willing to accept, not willing to, 
to admit that his days were numbered. And I did what I was asked to do. I shared the gospel with him one more time. He'd heard it before. And I shared with him the, the, the necessity of making a real choice and a decision, making a first-time decision to follow Jesus because he had come and died on the cross to forgive us. He had, he had showed us that he has the power to raise us from the dead. He tells us if we believe in him, he will give us life even after we die. And, and I shared with him this message, and, and I'm sure I butchered it up as a new young pastor, you know, and, and, but I did the best I could. And I shared with him the importance of making that first-time commitment and decision to have faith. I shared with him the importance of repenting in his heart and, and turning to God. I shared with him the, the importance of the first next steps and basics, things like baptism, which if he had chosen to be baptized that day, I would have made sure we did it in the bathtub. I mean, it was that kind of situation where he didn't have time to mess around. But in the conversation, he basically said, well, maybe someday I'll make that decision, which was an odd thing for a man who had no more Sundays coming to say, uh, unless that man was not willing to admit that there are no more Sundays, some days, that there is no someday coming you never know when your last someday is but that man he should have known that his days were numbered it wasn't much later that that mark's lungs filled up with fluid and mark couldn't talk anymore and i was there by his bedside as his wife was in tears heartbroken watching his life ebb away and i will never forget when he looked at me for the last time he looked at me and our eyes met and tears began streaming down his face i don't know what those tears meant i don't know what he would have said if he could have he was struggling just to stay alive but i have always suspected in my heart i know i know what those tears meant. Those tears meant something along the lines of, I should have read the writing on the wall. And you know, reading the writing on the wall says that mankind's days are numbered. My days are numbered. The world's days are are numbered and that that if i'm going to find real hope if i'm going to find something substantial to stand on and to live by and to to look forward to then maybe i don't place all my hope in the things of this world i don't place all my eggs in the basket of mankind and and what mankind has to offer maybe instead i turn to someone who doesn't have numbered days to someone who dies and raises himself again someone who said i am the truth and the life 
Someone who said that they were life, that they were the giver of life and the author of life and the creator of life, who then allowed themselves to die and even then death couldn't hold on to them because they were life. Maybe we ought to turn to someone who is not mortal, but someone who is immortal. In 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 17, it says, Now to the king eternal, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. You see, Jesus is immortal. And when we turn to him, because the writing on the wall tells us that the world is not worth following, but someone who's immortal is worth following. When we realize that our days are numbered, we turn to him and say, Jesus, you've promised us more days. I think we'll take it. I think we'll receive your grace. It will come to you in faith because you are the eternal and the immortal God. And one of the things that does is it encourages us to begin to number our days, to realize that our days are numbered rather than pretending we're just going to go on forever and all this stuff around us is just going to go on forever and, and the world's just going to keep on spinning. Rather than doing that, we realize that mankind's days are numbered. In Psalm 139, it says, God, you saw my unformed body all the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them ever came to be. And, and what he's saying there is that Jesus not only not only wants to give us more days, but that Jesus knows how many days we will live. He knows the number of our days. Now, by the way, it doesn't mean that he he decides the number of our days. It doesn't mean that he chose how the number of our days comes to an end. It just means he knows them. He knows how it's going to happen. He knows where and when and, and what. He knows everything about our days, and he knows that they're numbered. He's seen it all. He reads it all like a book when he looks at history. And so we want to come to him humbly and say, you offer us eternal life. I think we'll take it. And we will begin to think it like the psalmist who says this, teach us to number our days aright, that we may gain a heart of wisdom. A foolish heart, even on its deathbed, will not acknowledge that their days are numbered. But a wise heart will begin to say, my days are numbered. This world's days are numbered, and so I'm going to go ahead and take a hold of what Jesus offers because he offers to clothe me with immortality. He offers me, a mortal, the chance to know immortality. In fact, that's how Paul will explain what Jesus offers to us in the book of 1 Corinthians. In the book of 1 Corinthians, he will tell us that when we say yes to Jesus, he takes that which is mortal, you and I, with numbered days, and he gives us that which an immortal God can only give, the opportunity to know immortality from here on out. And when the day comes that Jesus returns, or when the day comes that we die and go to be with him, we will be clothed with immortality. It says this, for the perishable must, must clothe itself 
with the imperishable and the mortal with immortality. And when we say yes to Jesus, he clothes us with Christ and we are clothed with the immortal. And so the writing is on the wall, and the writing on the wall reminds us that mankind's days are numbered. So let's humble ourselves before the immortal God. Let's humble ourselves and turn to him whose days are infinite and who allow and allow him to increase our days. That's what the writing on the wall reminds us to do. That's what the writing on the wall reminds us to think about. And the next thing is the writing on the wall reminds us that mankind's deeds are wanting. Now, remember, the words were many, many, tekel, parson. And the, 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 the first word we just talked about, the mankind's days were numbered, or Belshazzar's days were numbered. And Daniel will interpret the second word, tekel, and he'll say this. It means that you have been weighed on the balances, and you've been found not to measure up. The word tekel was used often for the idea of weighing or measuring, and often it was used to talk about a person's value and the morals that a person had, or or how valuable they were. Now, I I haven't used scales very often to weigh out the value of something. Every once in a while, if you go to a store, you'll find like in the bulk section, you put some produce or you put, or sorry, you put some, uh, some of that bulk stuff, you buy some nuts or you buy some candy or you buy something and you weigh it out so that when you go, you pay based on the weight. Uh, You do that with produce too, right? You go get your tomatoes and your bananas and whatever, and you weigh them out. Out and and then you pay based on the weight. Now there is a time where we would use this the idea of a scale that would that would go one way or the other based on the weight. When when Vernonia Church during the summer we used to we, we used to have before COVID uh, started, and we'll get back to it uh, not this year but maybe next year. We'll get back to doing a week of Vacation Bible School, and it used to be at Vacation Bible School. What we would do is we'd have times of teaching teaching and times of singing and times where we talked about missions and world missions and times that we just had a good time and fun. I mean, Vacation Bible School at Vernonia Church is usually a blast and and it's a lot of work, but it's a lot of fun. And one of the things that we would do is we'd always raise money for missions and missionaries. And one of the ways we used to do that is kids would bring their change. Uh, They would bring, you know, uh, pennies and nickels and dimes and quarters and and we would create sort of a giving game where 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 the boys would bring what they were giving and the girls would bring what they were giving and and we would put it on one of them old-timey old-fashioned scales and 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 whatever scale kind of got heavier was the side that was winning well you can see the trouble with that is that uh, if you're doing real substantial giving and and change we don't really measure out money anymore by weight like you could you could actually have a heavier side but not have as much money well back back in the day in Daniel's day the value actually was in the weight if you had uh, you know 600 grams of gold it was it, it was 
actually 600 grams of gold and it was worth 600 grams of gold if you had uh, you know 10 grams of gold it was worth 10 grams if you had a half uh, of 10 grams which was the tekel it was worth the half of the 10 grams and and what he's saying is that 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 the king has been weighed against the value that he was supposed to have and he's found wanting. He's not weighing up. He's not measuring up. The scales are tipped way too far. It should be balanced out, but it's not. And the idea here is this, that if you were were to take the idea of God's expectations for your life, if you were to take the idea of 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 heaven and what it takes to get to heaven then then you put yourself on one side and those expectations on the other side that that you will have been found wanting that you will have been found not weighing enough not valuable enough not good enough we all fall short of the glory of god and and because of our sin we are destined and doomed to die because we don't measure up no matter how many good things we did no matter how many religious things we did no matter how much charity we did no matter how many nice things we did to the people in our life or our family no matter how much we worked to to help people no matter what we've done we always will be have been found wanting and, and we always will have been found not weighing in enough because we just don't measure up and wait to make the scale tip to where we deserve eternal life where we deserve heaven where we deserve what god has to give this is the idea that job will refer to when Job will say let god weigh me in honest scales and he'll know that i'm blameless in other words Job basically is saying that that god takes what we do and he's going to weigh it against our blamelessness uh, against who we are in uh, psalm Psalm 92, the psalmist said, men are but a breath. Remember that? Hand breath. Men are but a breath. If weighed on the balance, they are nothing. Together, they are only a breath. And so the idea here is that that men, even all mankind together, still doesn't measure up and weigh up. All the good that man's done, all the, all the things that mankind has done, it still doesn't measure up to enough to pay for, to earn, to merit eternal life, to merit what God can give. I, I found an interesting thought, an interesting idea when it comes to this story in Daniel chapter 5 and the hand that's writing on the wall. And it's this, that there are only three places that we know of where there's a picture of God writing with his finger. One of the places where God writes with his finger is in the story of the Exodus. It's when God delivers the Ten Commandments to the people uh, of Israel, when he gives them to Moses up on Mount Sinai. And and Moses receives this stone tablets that have been written on, and, and it says that God had written his law on these tal- tablets by the finger of God. And so there's a picture of God writing 
meeting uh, his expectations and his laws and and he's writing down with his finger what it takes for mankind to measure up and then we come to this story this story in Daniel chapter 5 where the writing on the wall says you don't measure up the king doesn't measure up mankind doesn't measure up no one measures up because we've been weighed on the scales and been found wanting but then there's another time where God is pictured as drawing with his finger this time it's in John chapter 8 and Jesus is teaching people Jesus is there and there's a crowd listening to him as he teaches and interrupting the the teaching session comes these men who are called teachers of the law and the Pharisees and they're looking for a way to trip Jesus up to trap him to shut him up they want to put an end to what Jesus has been doing and they come to Jesus with a prostitute in tow she had been caught in her act of prostitution and her act of adultery and and they sort of threw her down at Jesus in the middle of this teaching session and and they said to him hey this woman was caught in adultery and and what should we do with her the book of Moses the law of Moses tells us we ought to stone her what do you say now they're trying to trap Jesus because if Jesus says well then go ahead and stone her then then he would have been guilty by the Roman law of, of, of inciting murder, inciting a mob, inciting all kinds of problems here, maybe a riot. And, and so they could trap him that way. If Jesus said to them, well, you know, I know it says that, but don't do it. Then they could point at Jesus and say, hey, look, he doesn't teach the law of Moses. So he's going against the Bible. And, and, and so they were trying to trip Jesus. Jesus up and so Jesus it said began to write with his finger he began to draw in the dirt uh, and, and we're not told what he actually drew we're not told what he was writing we don't know it just says that that's what he was doing it's sort of an interesting story I mean I want to know fill in the blank for me tell me what was Jesus doing there was he just doodling random stuff or was he doing something purposeful Honestly, I picture the whole thing like he's writing the names down of the teachers of the law and the Pharisees that are talking to him and and next to their names. Maybe he's writing the sins that they have committed or maybe he's writing the names of the teachers of the law and the Pharisees that had been with this prostitute. I mean, somebody caught her and somebody there in the crowd had been with her. And where was the man, by the way, in this story that was caught also in? in the act of adultery Uh, but uh, Jesus is writing down something and it was enough that when Jesus gave them an answer it's a it's a sort of a popular answer it's a famous answer where he said to them hey which one of you is without sin and whichever one is without sin you can begin by throwing the first stone and then one by one they began to leave the old men left first because they were wise enough to see the wisdom in Jesus answer and they began to leave and then the younger men left and by the time Jesus looked over to the woman he said is there anybody left to accuse you and and she looked around and she said no there's nobody left and then it says Jesus began to write in the ground again 
He began to draw again. And, and I don't know what he was writing here either, but I imagine it maybe was something along the lines of the word for grace, or maybe the word for no condemnation, or, or maybe the word for forgiveness. But whatever it is he was writing, he looked up at her and he said, Neither do I condemn you. Now go and leave your life of sin. And so three times the hand of God writes on the wall or writes uh, on something. One time he, he writes on tablets the expectations or the weights that it would take to measure up to, to get ourselves to heaven. And, and no one measures up. No one carries uh, enough weight to, to make it. And then another time he writes on a wall and, and what it says is you don't measure up. And then another time he writes in the same. And, and in that story, it's a story of grace where he says, I will give you what you don't measure up for. I will give you forgiveness and grace and the love of God. I, I will give you eternal life. And so when we look at what the world has to offer and when we look at mankind, we say the writing's on the wall. Mankind doesn't measure up. But Jesus does, and he offers grace. And, and, and the reason that it's worth taking a hold of what he has to offer is because the writing's on the wall. I'm going to turn my back on this world and turn it towards Jesus and take a hold of all that he has to give. The last thought is this, that the writing on the wall, it reminds us that mankind's domains are temporary. Mankind's kingdoms, mankind's rule, mankind's power, and mankind's homes, and, and mankind's profits, and mankind's, you fill in the blank, mankind's home is temporary. So, why do we worship? Why do we worship temporary things and temporary people and, and temporary stuff and, and temporary idols and temporary gold and silver and stone and wood? And, and why do we worship temporary stuff? Why do we follow mankind and, and mankind's philosophies and ideologies and, and theologies rather than the teaching of an immortal God? Why do we imitate mankind and desire to be like mankind rather than Jesus? Why do we look for the reward of mankind and the applause of mankind? And why do we look to please mankind rather than the eternal God? Remember Daniel, he turned down Belshazzar's offers and his offerings. He would rather have what God was offering. And so he interprets the last word that was on the writing of the wall. Parson. Parson means divided, he says. And, and your kingdom is going to be divided and given over to the Medes and the Persians. Your kingdom is going to, to fall. It's temporary. And history tells us that that very night, that king lost his life. He was killed. And the very next day, Darius, the Mede, took over the kingdom. The writing was on the wall. 
And God wasn't kidding. It was literally the next day. His days were numbered and had come to an end. His life and his days were numbered literally and had come to an end. His kingdom's days were numbered and now they're coming to an end. And they would be divided between the Medes and the Persians and what would now become known as the Medo-Persian Empire. And, And the kingdom was divided. The writing was on the wall and the kingdom broke up and a new kingdom was beginning. And throughout history, we've seen historically that that even kingdoms that were incredibly powerful and influential and even kingdoms that looked like they would last forever ended and their empires came to an end. Even the strongest of them eventually came to an end. I mean, at that time, Babylon was the strongest empire in the world. This was the last day of about a 300-year reign for the Babylonian Empire. For about 300 years, this empire stood strong and ruled over almost all the people of earth. Then after them would come this Medo-Persian Empire, and it began this day, uh, this next day. The Medo-Persian Empire, it would rule and reign over almost all the known world for the next 200 years. And then their empire would come to an end and, and would be taken over by the Greek empire, which would grow and it would last about 350 years. And after that would become another empire, the Roman Empire, that would be the longest lasting empire in history. And it lasted somewhere around a thousand, some say 500, some say 1500 years. I mean, this empire would last a long time, but the truth is, no matter how long, no matter how powerful, no matter how big and influential and rich and strong these empires are, they're all empires ruled and reigned by people, made up of mortal people. They will rise, they will fall, just like mankind. They will have a beginning and an end, and their days will be numbered. And as of next week, our, our, our country, the United States, is going to celebrate that we're 245 years old as a country. We're going to celebrate on the 4th of July. and There'll be hot dogs and hamburgers and fireworks somewhere. I don't know about, about Oregon right now. We're sort of in this fire danger season. And there's going to be all kinds of celebration for our young civilization. Now, among the civilizations of the world, there are some that have been around for a long time. The Chinese civilization right now can date its history at least going back about 4,000 years. I mean, they have, they have uh, written history that goes back that far. I mean, that's a long time for civilization to be around. But young or old, civilizations all come to an end. Even if that end comes the day that Jesus returns, when Jesus brings judgment on all the earth, though their reign will end. And Daniel reminds the king that God will humble him 
just like he humbled Nebuchadnezzar. Now, uh, the story is probably known throughout all of the Babylonian Empire, the way that Daniel and Nebuchadnezzar had this back and forth where God would humble Nebuchadnezzar. And one time God humbled Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar had gotten really powerful as the king of Babylon. He had gotten really prideful and arrogant, and he began to even make himself up as a god and believe that he was a god. And God would humble him, send him into madness. And and Daniel in Daniel 5.21 would say this, he was driven away until he acknowledged that the Most High God is sovereign over all the kingdoms of men. And the idea of sovereign there is an idea that says that God is bigger than our world and greater than our world. He's the ultimate authority over our world, that he is, uh, though he's involved in our world, he's not restricted or limited by the things of our world in that he is the Lord of Lord, the King of Kings, the great I am. uh, and, And he is the one to whom all mankind will one day answer to, all the kings, all the rulers, all the men, uh, all of mankind will stand before him and give an answer. And rather than being in the kingdom of men, maybe the writing on the wall tells us that it's more important to be in the kingdom of God, to be a part of the kingdom of God. And so what does someone do when they realize that, well, God is sovereign, that God is God and, and that, mankind, uh, that, that mankind's days are temporary, that the things and the accomplishments and the kingdom of men fall? What do we do when we realize that God is so much more important? Well, Solomon, in his wisdom, wrote these words in Ecclesiastes twelve thirteen to 14. It says, Now all has been heard. Here's the conclusion of the matter. Fear God and keep his commands, for this is the whole duty of man. For God will bring every deed into judgment, including every hidden thing, whether it's good or evil. In other words, the best thing you can do is fear God and keep his commandments and give your life to him and and follow him. You see, all of us in this life, we will have a choice to make. God leaves us with the choice. We will build our lives and invest our lives in building a temporary kingdom here, or we will build our lives and invest our lives and spend our lives building something for eternity because we gave our life to Christ. In 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 12 to 14, the Apostle Paul says this, If any man builds, his work will be shown for what it is. The day is coming where, where all of us, all of that we have done, it will be shown for what it is. Either we will have invested in temporary things that will burn up and burn away with, with the earth and with this world, or... It will last with us in eternity. It will be revealed. If what he has built survived, he will receive his reward. And what survives? What survives after this life? Well, it's not our stuff. It's not our houses. It's not our citizenship in the United States of America. It's not anything this world has to offer. The only thing that survives 
are the things that we've invested in our faith in Jesus Christ. Maybe the people we've helped come to know Jesus because we shared with them. And when we're in heaven, we get to be there with him and with them. And they will say, thank you for sharing with me. Maybe it's in the the ministries that we invested in to help the word get out, that there is something more out there than just what this world has to offer. Maybe it's in the, the ministries and the investment we've made in people and in the gospel of Jesus Christ. You see, those are the things that will survive. What will survive is the fruit that you bear today because of faith in Christ. And, and when... When you've borne that fruit, when, when, when that's been shown to be a part of what you invested your life in and what you gave your life to, you will find that a reward it will come on the other side of things. In Revelation 22, 12, Jesus says this, Behold, I am coming soon. My reward is with me, and I will give to everyone according to what he has done. Have you had faith in Jesus? Have you read the writing on the wall? I mean, the writing on the wall, it's so easy to read. We live in a broken world filled with broken people, filled with broken philosophies and broken theologies and broken gods and and broken ideas. And yet Yahweh God, the creator, says to us, If you would receive what Jesus has to offer, I'll give you eternal life. I will will bring you into my kingdom that never ends. If you would read the writing on the wall and you would see that I offer life, you would take it. You would follow me. You would see that mankind's days are numbered and you would turn to one who is immortal and who can give you eternal days. You would see that, his, that mankind's deeds are wanting, and then you would see the deeds of Jesus who dies on a cross to show you love, who's buried and raises from the dead and promises you life. And you would see that mankind's t- domains are temporary while his is eternal. In fact, he promises that part of the reward he wants to give is he's preparing a place, a domain for you and for me, a domain where we will be with him forever in eternity. And so here's what I want to encourage you to do as a next step today. I want to encourage you to begin thinking about reading the writing on the wall. Look around. When you see temporary things, when you see people and their days are numbered, and you see temporary kingdoms and kingdoms rise and kingdoms fall and and politicians are elected and politicians are, are unelected, when you see all this happen, let it remind you that the writing is on the wall when it comes to mankind and what mankind has to offer. And let it motivate you to repent and and turn away from the things of this world and the things of mankind and turn towards God and let the writing on the wall draw you to Jesus' grace. Will you pray with me?
Father in heaven, we come before you right now and we want to learn to read the writing on the wall. God, I pray that you will help us understand you. Understand that you are greater, that you are sovereign, that compared to you, everything this world has to offer is just a drop in the bucket. And God, let that motivate us to understand that the writing is on the wall. Judgment does come. You are returning. The things that we invest in today, well, God, there might not even be any of it that's important. I pray that you'll help us to start to reevaluate based on the writings on the wall. What is important to us? What are we doing? What are we investing in? And who are we following? God, I pray that you will bless each one as we struggle, each one who's here with us online, as we struggle to decide what does the writing on the wall mean for us? It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I want to invite you to join us now as we are going to continue to worship We've worshipped by praying together. We've worshipped by getting into the Word of God together. And now we're going to worship by celebrating the Lord's Supper together. If you're in a place where you can join us in this, I would love to have you join us in it. You know, grab grab a cracker, grab some bread, grab some grape juice, uh, uh, grab some juice so you could join us. And uh, I'd love to have you do that with me. You know, the Bible tells us that we're supposed to do this whenever we come together in his name. And we're together. We're, we're together online in his name. We're celebrating in his name. And we want to remember that Jesus has died for us, that he was buried, and that he rose from the dead. We want to remember what he has done for us. And you know, one of, we were talking about this idea of the writing on the wall. And one of the things that the gospel tells us the writing that's on the wall i mean we've been kind of looking at it from a from almost a negative perspective that the writing on the wall says things are bad and so we turn to god who makes things good but there is a good side too there's a positive side of the idea of the writing on the wall that jesus death burial and resurrection it, it flashes like a billboard the the writing is on the wall that god has this incredible love for you and for me that's what, that's what Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection remind us of. And so when we celebrate, we remember the body that was broken on the cross for us, that body that puts that writing on the wall that says God loves you so much. He's willing to spread his arms out and be crucified on a cross to forgive your sins, to give you grace, to give you what no one, no power in this world could give you. He gives you salvation, forgiveness, eternal life. I mean, he gives you so much. And so let's remember the body that was broken on the cross for us. I'm going to go ahead and open this up here. and I have this grape juice that represents the blood of Christ that he shed for us on the cross. Again, to show us this incredible love, to wash away our sins, to give us hope. To, to, to bring us into an eternal kingdom rather than a temporary one. And we're going to remember the blood that he shed by drinking it together. So let's drink it together 
and remember his blood. I'd like to invite you to pray with me. Father in heaven, as we remember what you've done for us, as we do this in remembrance of you, I pray that the remembrance would be of love and the love of Christ, that it would be of hope and the hope that Christ gives us. God, we thank you for Jesus and all he's done. Everybody said together, Amen. Hey, I want to say thank you for joining us today for our online worship. You know, some of you, we want to enter into a time where we continue to worship as we think about uh, receiving an offering. And I want to encourage you to, you're clapping at home. At, at in-person church, we always clap when we receive the offering. It's just sort of a tradition because we want to be joyful givers. Uh, and if you are joining us here online and you want to support the ministry that we're doing as we reach out on, online, as we reach out in person, as we do all the work that we're doing that we believe God has called us to do, as we're watching people make first-time decisions and get baptized, as we're going through this summer of, uh, I mean, you almost don't know what to do or how to do it this summer because of the way you're not sure what's happening. But we're kind of in the process of getting back into to the ministries we were doing before. We're in the process of sort of getting back to life as normal. And and we don't want to just go back to normal. We want to go we want to go whole hog and, and, and watch God work and do amazing things. And so I want to say thank you to those of you who are giving, who are who are continuing to give. I want to say thank you for joining us in giving as we give to Vernonia Church and the ministry of Vernonia Church. Uh, you could give if you want to. You could go online at www.vernonia.church. That's V-E-R-N-O-N-I-A.church. And you could set up giving there. You could give at any time using that. Uh, or you could give by texting the word GIVE, G-I-V-E, to 503-376-6646. And you could give that way. I mean, there's all kinds of ways that you could do it. So I just want to encourage you, uh, if you want to join us in giving, that you could do that. And I, I want to just pray that God will use Vernonia Church, that God will use the ministry of Vernonia Church to bring him glory and to help other people be, start to read the writing on the wall and to help other people make decisions to follow God. Uh, so let's pray together. God, I pray that you will that you will use the ministry of Vernonia Church. I pray for all those who are giving to Vernonia Church, that you would you would bless them in a special way, that you would use what we give to help the ministry of this church grow, that you would help us as a church to get the message out there that you are worth more than anything in this world, and that the writing's on the wall, that that you are just so worth following because, because this world, it just doesn't measure up to who you are. I pray that you would use what we give to spread the, me the message of the gospel, that people will come to Christ because of it, that people will be in heaven because we gave. I pray that, uh, that this would make just a huge kingdom difference. It's in Jesus' name we all pray. Everybody said, Amen. Well, I want to invite you to join me as we finish up by declaring it's been a great day. 
Uh, I'm going to count to three and I'm going to declare it's been a great day and I hope that you have a great day and maybe if you're in a place where you can do it just it feels good to do it just declare it's been a great day with me so on the count of three one two three it's been a great day hey I hope you have a great day